You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Good morning, Susan. Morning, Tom. How are you? Doing good this morning. Good. We even have Joel here again. Yeah, nice to have you in here today, buddy. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to produce it when you're not here, isn't it? You have to it, clean up too many messes that, that we a, make. Yeah, it's a lot more editing on the back end. I bet it is. <laughs> Maybe I'll try to edit some and then send it to you. Uh, you don't want me I'll, to do that? No, I'll do it. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I'll be happy to try. I'm more than happy to try. Never know what you might get then. It says file was deleted. I don't know what happened. What about all these fancy buttons? Can't we hit all of these? See? Yeah. Even the audience wants me to do it. They have good taste. I want to start out saying to the people in Alabama and the South, praying for all of you. Tornadoes were apparently very bad last night. Several went within two miles of my child. So that's a, that's a tough time of year down there. And they were, I think, pretty serious. I hadn't heard death told yet. I'm praying there's none. But I know there's a lot of destruction and fires and all kind of stuff in Alabama around Selma and going out toward Tuscaloosa. I don't even know where all yet. But bad stuff going on. So our thoughts and prayers are with all of you and your families. And, uh, you know, give us a... Give us a roll call on who's doing okay on Facebook, because I saw a few this morning, but let us know things are good, or if you need our help, call us. All right, so what we got this morning, sir? Well, we have um, Mike Rains, a retired firefighter from Scottsdale, and he's come to join us this morning to be on our podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You're from Scottsdale? Is this home? Uh, no, I'm actually, I grew up in Napa Valley, ah. up in the wine country, and then ended up in Sacramento, and then uh, in the mid-90s, went up to the White Mountains, mm-hmm. walked up there for a while, and then uh, ended up down here. Terrific. Yeah. Well, tell us your background and how you got to, from Napa Valley wine country, why would you ever leave wine country <laughs> in the damn desert? <laughs> well, mostly because I can't afford to live there. Well, I bet, yeah. especially now. Yeah, and this was back in the uh, mid '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, wife and I ended up having four kids over like a six-year period of time. You make that sound like it was kind of one of those accidents. We wound up <laughs> well, having four kids. Joel, you don't have children yet, but there is there is a way to know and kind of plan for it. Okay, and well, prevent it. It's all her fault. <laughs> go, no, no, leave me alone. And next thing, oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's two years between one and two, and then 18 months, 18 months, and 18 months. Wow. So, yeah. So She I'm, was busy. Uh, she was busy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's like 5'1", and scared the heck out of all of us. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, uh, uh, we were together for 35 years, and she... Ended up getting diagnosed with Alzheimer's in uh, 2010. Wow. And yeah, we uh, young went through that journey. She had yeah, to be for, really young. She was, she was 52. Jeez. Yeah, I went through that journey for 
eight and a half years since she passed away in uh, 2018. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, I'm glad you have four children then. And they all ended up being amazing young men, too. Got two of them in the fire service. Nice. Um, My number two is a really smart guy. He was trying to get in the fire service. I'm like, dude, you're too smart to be in the fire service. (laughs) He's got his bachelor's in forensic anthropology. Wow. And he's going back and getting his master's in some smarty pants thing. I, he goes in after fires, forest fires, and uh, rehabs the forest. Wow. Kind of, yeah. So he's just starting to uh, gear up to do that. So nice. that's great. I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a you know, wave of the future. They've been doing a lot of that already. Mm. Well, it kind of has to be, yeah, right. given there's so much we could do to prevent some of these. But right. And then the, the devastation after the fire with mudslides and right. stuff like that. Um, it's really important to get in and try to, uh, you know, rehab all that stuff and prevent it as much as you can. Yeah, we had someone in from Maricopa County Sheriff's Department not too long ago talking about, he's Lake Patrol, talking about the mudslides and the things up around Apache Lake and the Apache Trail and all that. Boy, what a mess that was. Yeah, and, you know, some of these fires that are having nowadays are just so devastating that they, they just moonscape stuff. Yep. You know, when there's nothing to uh, act as a watershed, stuff just starts letting go and damage is amazing. Well, and I don't think there are a lot of parts of the country that people have no experience with it. They've never been around it. They don't see it. They don't hear about it. I, I had no idea until I moved out here 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, about things like that. You hear about the forest fires, you know, and you think, okay, devastation, homes are threatened, livestock's threatened, wildlife's threatened, but you don't think about all the other things that come afterwards, even months, weeks, years, whatever, the, the, the impact of it. And it's frustrating sometimes. I, I was working a standby at one of the Giants games and a kid from um, the Bay Area. Uh, California has an Office of Emergency Services network set up mm-hmm. where uh, departments throughout the state have state-owned um, fire engines, and when they have a disaster, they man them and, and go down there. And he said that they were at Malibu. Um, this is a number of years ago, but fire was ripping through there. They went into a cul-de-sac, made a stand, and, you know, it was uh, fairly hairy there for a little bit, but they were able to save the, the properties. And then six months later, they went back down there, and the whole thing had slid into the ocean. <laughs> Whoops. He's like, are you kidding me? We, wow. Yeah, we were stuck in here for a while, and it was pretty hairy. And we were proud that we were able to save these people's houses. And, sure. You know, then it slowed into the ocean. So. Wow. Wow. So uh, I hear you're working on an interesting project. Yeah, which one? <laughs> Tell us about all of them. <laughs> I've been busier since I retired so than I was when I was working. Um, I started out with uh, a project called Firefighter Eats, where I was going around and um, just kind of celebrating and, and putting the focus on some of the amazing cooks in the fire service mm-hmm. across the country. Um, and at the same time, kind of highlighting how important the the bonding and stuff sitting around the table in the fire service being able to defuse yes. and, and bonding together and eating really good food at the same time sure you know and it's different obviously geographically across the country on just stuff but the the bottom line is it's kind of all the same mm-hmm. you know firemen are firemen and 
it's a great place to uh, kind of just blow off steam, save all the world's problems, you know, and at the same time, um, promote some of the, the things that are going on in the fire service now, the uh, PTSD and the suicide rates and the burnout rates and stuff like that. So um, started working on it and then got sidetracked and now I'm doing mostly teaching. Mm -hmm. I, I work with the paramedic program um, and uh, got asked to start a public safety academy in a high school. Nice. So, but yeah. I want to go back to what you were just saying, because I think it's really important um, about the diffusing and stuff. And I think we're going to see, sadly, I hate making bad predictions, but we're going to see more suicides and more fallout from post-traumatic stress Absolutely. because of the change in the firehouses, at least in some areas. I didn't know until almost maybe two years ago when I met with a, a fire chief here and he was talking about how now the firefighters have private quarters. And so when they come back after a big, difficult call, there isn't as much sitting around the table diffusing. That is true. Yeah. And they go to their rooms and they get on their electronic stuff and... So, you know, and I've always said that was the disadvantage to law enforcement because they don't get that opportunity. But fire did to sit around and, and talk about it, even the sick humor. And now to find out that hasn't even been the case out here for many years. I, I, it, I thought it was something new, but it's not. No, I, I started uh, running calls as an explorer in 1977. Mm -hmm. And then I started uh, as a reserve working on ambulance in 1981. And back then there there were not a lot of females in the uh, in the field. I mean, they've increasingly became more and more, which is amazing because there's some, you know, wonderful people out there that are just doing a really good job. Sure. But with that being said, things kind of, not necessarily segregated, but privacy was a lot more of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, separate bathrooms, um, being able to have, you know, the privacy of your own space, but... Yeah, it's, it's good in a sense because um, you do have your own room to kind of just go contemplate stuff, but it does uh, kind of prevent that bonding. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of guys will come out, have dinner, and then go off to their room at nighttime. But a lot of times, we were talking earlier about some of these busy stations, um, you're running 25 calls in a shift, and you go out there and, and eat real quick, and you're trying to catch a nap. Sure. You know, sure. So you know you're... The festivities start at 9.30 at night, and you're not going to be back in there until, you know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, if you even get in there at all. Sure. So everybody kind of disperses out to, you know, get some, some nap time. Um, and it's affected, you know, affected that. Yeah, I'd like to see them do a little bit more because you have the advantage of being able to diffuse. Diffusings are worthless in law enforcement, completely worthless. If you're going to get them together, you better get them together and do the debriefing because... You're just overutilizing the model when you diffuse and then bring them back and do debriefing. Same thing except for the last two phases of it. And to me, you know, where they can, that should auto, almost be automatic to come back after a difficult call, especially death of children or babies. Um, but come back ask, and make that happen. I was going to ask you about that because in the fire service, uh, aside from even the debriefing at the table, mm -hmm. Usually after a fairly good size incident, whether it's just a fire or a bad incident or whatever, 
um, the chief will get everybody who's on scene together and just kind of do like a tailgate diffusion. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, everybody good? Anybody hurt? You know, and, and I think that gives them an opportunity to kind of evaluate people too. It's like, oh, he's got that thousand yard stare going. <laughs> or, you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with your um, position in life too. Sure. And I don't mean, um, you know, financial position or whatever, right. but um, like I said, I had started when I was really young mm-hmm. and I'd had, uh, uh, probably three months into my career, had a eight-year-old kid and his uh, niece were climbing up a uh, high-tension power line. Mm-hmm. And the electricity came down and arced him in the head and flew him probably 15 feet or whatever into the street. Wow. They had burns 80% of his body. And, wow. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was nasty sure. to get too graphic on it. But I was an eighteen year old kid. Sure. You know, taken went through the thing and it was just like, wow, that that sucked. Yeah. You know, but go get cleaned up and do my thing. But if I had that identical call, which I'd had some um, you know, different type of stuff when my boys were there, mm-hmm. it would have been so much more devastating because you can relate to that. Sure. You sure. know, and the, and the scariest thing about all that is you never know uh, when that's going to come back and haunt you. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, I had that call. I went through it, you know, didn't really think too much about it. And fast forward 10 years, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, it's when the CISD or the Critical Incident Stress Debriefing Management, I'm sure. not even sure what they call it. SISM. Yeah. yeah it's still called SISM. And Which is kind of a joke because it's really not stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, I have to admit that um, it is good to be able to sit down with your peers. You have to. And I don't know if law enforcement is as aggressive as the fire service with it, but used to be, um, you know, if you, if you were having issues, either you drank a half a bottle of whiskey and you dealt with it or you found another job. Sure. And that was a support mechanism that you got from the old <laughs> loan sure. guys. Yep. Well, and it was started, Jeff Mitchell and George Everly are the founders of the ICISF. That's who actually trained me 100 years ago. And they're both fire backgrounds. And the model's great in the way it's set up for fire, but it's not quite as effective on the police end because, again, of overutilizing the model. They get tired of how how does that make you feel? Tell me what your part was, blah, 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 and those kinds of things. But the reality is that fire also has to recognize just because a Chief, captain, somebody is looking at a firefighter and going, so how are you? How are you? They're going to go, I'm good. <laughs> and then talking about position, it also depends on time on. Because I have worked with a firefighter fairly recently that he was really new, felt in his gut, and based on some other things he was seeing um, and stuff, that his girlfriend was in trouble. But he was afraid to even go and wake somebody up to ask him if he could leave to go check on her and it was bad and so he he didn't even want to do that and we're dealing with that five six years later now we're dealing with it that that was the point that i was going to make is i took the training when it first came out or at least in the area Mm -hmm. i was in sacramento at the time um did they call it happened in napa and i'd worked in sacramento for a number of years by that time and my wife was an er nurse at uc davis so they said they were putting on this training. I thought, you know, that'd be cool. So went in, went through the training, and towards the second half of day two, mm-hmm. 
like, you know, we need to kind of cover this because most of the issues that guys have are from pediatric patients. Yes. And with UC Davis being a burn center, um, they started, as they were talking about that, they were putting up pictures of little kids that had been, you know, severely burned and from their burn unit. And I just, I turned white. I started shaking. I couldn't sure. breathe. And I had to just get up and get out of there. Absolutely. That was 10 mm -hmm. years later. Yes. So you just never know when one of those things is going to fall off the shelf in your brain. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it haunts you pretty hard sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm pretty blessed because I have big shelves. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a lot of stuff in there. And uh, <laughs> he says that I'm fixing, I'm fixing to slam and go ahead. You, you tell me all about how you got big shelves. Well, because I've in 40 something years, I've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, we it, talk about the garbage can. It's a psychological garbage yeah. can. You may have a hell of a trash compactor. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's not to say that something doesn't fall off there once in a while. But it's weird how it's a song. You know, or it's just yep. some kind of trigger that you wouldn't think about it, and it's just Well, scary. and that's the problem, and you it know. sets you off. I, I share the story when I started this company 31 years ago that there was a police officer, an old-timer in Montgomery, Alabama, who said, Susan, I support you, but I don't need you. I've dealt with dead babies and mutilated bodies, horrible stuff. He calls me one day wailing, crying, gnashing teeth over, uh, he said, you know, I told you, human pain and suffering doesn't bother me, but he is devastated sitting on the curb in downtown Montgomery in uniform over a stray dog getting run over. And I told him, I said, you know, this is all that other stuff coming right. up. Absolutely. And he believes he would have been suicidal because he felt he had lost all human compassion, which is why he went into this industry and now cares more about a stray dog than he did people. No, his garbage can was full and the dog wouldn't fit. That's all well, it was. And you know, even though a law enforcement and us are in a lot of the same situations, mm -hmm. it's still apples and oranges. It is. Like you were talking about the the debriefing stuff. And and from the fire service, we're pretty lucky because just about everybody loves us. Absolutely. Y'all can <laughs> you know, run yeah, over people on the sidewalk <laughs> and it's the person's fault because they didn't get out of the way. Yeah. The cop does something and it's the hot donuts at Krispy Kreme sign just popped up and right. you're absolutely right. Right. And, and that would be tough. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard enough going through that stuff when you, for the most part, when you show up, somebody's like, thank God you're here. Or not, oh, my God. Yeah, you again? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've teased with some uh, police friends over the years. It's like, well, it makes sense, man, because you're having a bad day and we show up and we make your day better. Mm -hmm. and we fix whatever your issue is. And you could be having a great day. Sure. And you guys show up and it just goes south quickly. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. You can save the family photo album. The rest of the house can burn to the ground, but right. save the family photo album and you're heroes. Yeah, absolutely. And it just doesn't work that way. Well, and I think at least from our side of it, you know, and, and a lot of guys who are especially been on for a few years get frustrated because it's right. like, you called me for that? Are you kidding me? Right. But it, <laughs> it's pretty much... You know, and I, I tell a lot of the kids, it's like, look, whatever is going on there, and there, there is a percentage of abuse. Sure. I mean, people just work the system and whatever, but 95% of the time, whatever we think is stupid, and it's an easy fix because we're just kind of jacks of all trades. Somebody will figure something out yep. to fix it, but um, their, their coping mechanisms are overwhelmed. Sure. They don't know how they have to deal with whatever it is, no matter how simple or how complex. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like they know if they call us, mm -hmm. we're going to show up, we're going to be nice, we're going to be respectful, we're going to fix their problem. Sure. But you know, in academies, and I'm learning this about fire, because I was married to law enforcement for over 20, but in, even in fire, and definitely in the police academies, we're still hearing the old archaic principle being taught, keep personal and professional separate. We're creating the issues within the fire and police services, and then we wonder why divorce is high. Well, if I'm told not to go home and talk to my spouse about this, I'm going to talk to somebody. And then doors start opening for other things that shouldn't happen. And we're it's self-perpetuating. And that's another difference between the fire service and law enforcement. We don't have a lot of secret squirrel stuff that we can't talk to our family on. But the other side of the coin, um, if you, your wife or a significant other or whatever is um, not from that line of work... You try you know, to protect them. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you sit down and even if you start venting, they're looking at you like, God, that's depressing. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> because we haven't trained yeah. them. It's a lifestyle. And it one is. of the things we do is we train the other half of the lifestyle because they, they have to hear it from a spouse. If they want to be trained. Well, I for mean, 30, sometimes just personally, they're like, that's depressing. I don't want to. And then you shut down. But when you, you explain know. to them what happens, and we have a cop at Phoenix that explains this very nicely. And his wife had been a police officer. And he was in a shooting. But if nobody's teaching them when you shut them down, they're going to talk to somebody. You're, part, you're still part of the problem right. versus you don't have to process it. Just listen and let them dump it. You can be planning the next meal. You can be planning. I used to do that. I was planning getting kids to hockey and kids to piano <coughs> and things and not processing a thing he was telling me. Because he didn't need me to fix it. He needed me just to let him dump it. Right. And that's just a matter of education. And that was one of the advantages of being married to an ER nurse yes. for so many. Yes. And it's kind of apples and oranges. I mean, in the field, you see a lot different things than they do in the ER, mm -hmm. even though there's a lot of tragedy. But And it take that even a step further. Law enforcement kind of has it worse because we go into scenes where it's just really ugly with a uh, homicide victim, uh, whatever. And we look around and go, well, ain't nothing I could do here. Yeah. You know, we're out the door in a half hour where they got to sit there for 12 or 24 doing all the investigation. Mm -hmm. to, oh, it takes the corner yeah. to right, get there. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Which, boy, in Maricopa County, sometimes that's a wait. Well, in Alaska, imagine. it can be days, as yeah. we have been <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they can't get in there. You're in there for days. I can imagine. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, and it is apples and oranges, but we still have to look at both our lifestyles. And we got to stop teaching old principles in academies because it is—it's failing. It's failing our our people. And there's better ways to do it. And that's where the first responder world needs to be a little more open, I think, to things. And see, that's an interesting concept with uh, that public safety academy in the high school is to try yes. to start bringing some of that stuff, at least introduce it to them. You know, the, the Explorer program and cadet programs and stuff are great for that. I was an Explorer for four years before I actually, you know, got an ambulance, started getting paid as a reserve, whatever. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, and the recruitment pool is really <laughs> crashed. On all I mean, sides that's of that's a conversation, yeah, yes. on itself. But but why do you think that is for fire? I know why it is for law. It's pretty clear why it is for mm -hmm. law. You said it. Fire. Everybody loves firefighters. Right. I, Nobody likes a cop. You know, that's hard to say. I mean, um, is it money? Because I don't I, think I anybody think goes into money. it for that. I think it's partly the 
exposures that we have, the cancer, the... That's another big one. You know, plus I think overall right now in this phase of society, nobody wants to work. Well, that's true too. That's all fields. <laughs> you know, they can, Absolutely. Make, they can make a fair amount of money just sitting home watching, you know, TV and eating bonbons. Why would you want to go out and actually work for it? Or feel entitled you no know? matter what you do for them Absolutely. that you haven't done enough. And, and I'm hoping that this younger group of kids that's coming up will have a different attitude. You know, that's one of the reasons we're trying to start that concept in high school and, and get them prepared to go out and get them excited about it. Are you seeing that? In the, tell us you about know, this program. It's so early in the stages. I'm still, I've only been at it for maybe a month. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do is to set up a graduating process because my youngest son, who works for Goodyear Fire, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, was took the, yeah, I'm not sure what, the, I think it's EVIC. Yes. But it's yeah. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. the, the high, school. high school. He did that when he was a junior. And it was great. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he went through the MT program. He got a certificate of completion and whatever. But he wasn't old enough to get certified. Which is what age? 18. Okay. So you, when you're 18, you can go through the Department of Health Services, get your certification. And, and fire departments will hire you at 18? Um, you know, that's, that's <laughs> probably a conversation for back with a recruitment. I, I think they're starting to get people who have a little more life experience. Mm -hmm. um, just I, they can, but you don't have as much of a possibility of, you know, DUIs doing stupid stuff in downtown. If you get somebody who's closer to thirty, mm -hmm. usually more established, they got a little kid. Not that they don't do stupid things occasionally, sure. but the likelihood mm -hmm. when you have some. Life experience is less, so I think they're looking more at that age group than 18. But when you, you know, have an average of 4,000 people or 5,000 people show up for your testing process when you have no openings, you're just doing an eligibility list. Mm -hmm. And then you look at, like, now they're getting six or 700 they might have to revisit that. And how know, many and get washed out because of, I, I assume felonies knock people out? You know, probably not as much as PD. Right. I mean, it's not like you have a felony necessarily get picked out. They do background checks, sure. but um, they're not as stringent, I think. As the well, PD's not either anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny how one or two times of use used to be experimental. Now you can use something for a whole year, and that's deemed <laughs> experimental, really, seriously. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think if if you start getting these kids interested, and I want to do like a two-year um, uh, kind of program where by their junior, mm -hmm. they get like a history to the fire service and police. We're, we're trying to run three tracks. I want to do a law enforcement, a medical, and a fire service. And medical is getting so much more common in law enforcement arenas, yes. especially with uh, the feds. Yes. Border Patrol yes. and I, all those guys. So I want to try to put that in the middle. So if you're interested in the fire service, you can do that and hang out for the medical part. And if you're interested in law enforcement, do the medical part, then law enforcement. And kind of give them anatomy, physiology, and all the basics leading up to it. And then when they're seniors, um, get them a phlebotomy certification and mm -hmm. uh, you know, firefighter one and two, if I could do that, uh, 13190, which is the... Uh, basic wildland firefighting, their EMT certificate. I do all that stuff when they're seniors because they'll be close enough to 18 
mm-hmm. where they could actually get certified. You know, back to Josh, um, my son, he, he went through that, was way too far before he could actually get certified. So he went through that class and even though he had the knowledge and a certificate of completion, it didn't help him after the fact. Like well, especially if he school. has to wait to take right. a certification right. exam, you, you lose a lot in that And time. there's a window. Yes. Which just for that reason, I'm sure. sure. But um, he ended up going in the Navy. He did five years um, on a destroyer up in Seattle area. But as soon as he got ready to get out, um, he retook his EMT. So he had the certificate in his hand when he got home and then ended up, uh, you know, working on an ambulance, got into Glendale's um, colleges, firefighter one and two, and then got picked up. But so how so, does this program work, and where are y'all trying to implement this? It's the Arizona Preparatory Academy, which is a um, high school for at-risk kids. That's what it's set up now. We're opening up to the Valley, and recruitment is probably going to be, you know, my next main focus, trying to, uh, like, visit some of the teen academies, the explorer posts, um, health fairs at different high schools, you know, wherever we can go out and try to recruit the kids. As our youngest person here, Joel, <laughs> were you an at-risk teen at some point in your life? And would this have interested you? Uh, no, I didn't classify as that. Um, Only because you didn't get caught? Exactly. <laughs> when Dad's a cop, it's hard. Gonna, yeah. you, you learn how not to get caught, don't you? Well, he would radio me. You know, He would call me and be like, hey, are you? did you break into the church again? Like, you no. don't happen to be at this address because if you are, you might want to leave. Yeah, no, he's like, we're on the way. And so we all ran out. But no, um, <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do that. But I did do the, um, what was it? It was like a, a, like a youth academy. That Chandler PD had running before for police for police not fire. Yeah, it was a fire. combined because I think Scottsdale does a combined one where they have police and fire both. And That's I, a good I believe idea. Glendale does it too. Hmm. Yeah, so it's more of a public safety thing. But you notice he's not in law enforcement, <laughs> so apparently <laughs> well, didn't invite him. It's any consolation being a fireman's son wasn't any better. <laughs> and Napa was, at the time was a fairly small town, and the, one of the fire stations they had two. One was right next to the police department. So if I did any, and they all knew each other. Of course. So if I did anything before I got home, my dad was already on the phone screaming. <laughs> oh, yeah. And my dad got a call one time, and he was like, uh, someone called in saying that they pooped. Someone had pooped on their car, and right away he calls me. He's like, are you in the area? <laughs> is there a reason he would have, uh, Did that feel like no, something it's, it's you a, would do? It's a story. To be clear, to be clear. Yeah, let's clarify it was, this. It was a prank can. It's like shaving cream, wow. but you spray it. Like, See, what happened was. Yeah, what happened we all, was. Yeah, we know how that starts and where it goes from there. Not my poop. Yeah, right. Okay, sure. Yeah, all right. Well, at least it wasn't legit. They could DNA yeah, no. it. <laughs> they call fire to come out to do that DNA. That's right. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Oh, no, I really wouldn't. Because <laughs> that's what I would do. It goes back to that earlier conversation where it's like, really? <laughs> you <laughs> want me just, to do what? Yeah. And it's, it's Scottsdale, I think, pretty much throughout, we're very, very customer-oriented. There's mm-hmm. not uh, very many things on the face of the earth that we don't do with a smile sure. and make sure that you know, people are taken care of. Sure. Which sure. was nice working for an organization like that. I mean, because that's, uh, and not 
not all organizations are like that. No, they claim customer service, which I think is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in the police service, especially. Um, that That is an attitude that is going to get people in a whole lot of trouble. I can see that in the fire I side. I can see it in fire. But, but definitely not in the PD Customer's side. always right when you're a customer service people. And if that's the case, <laughs> I'm right. I wasn't doing anything wrong, so y'all need to go on about your business. Yeah, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> that's right. And if I did, I'm still the customer, and I did it the way I wanted to do it, and you're supposed to say thank you. Right, right. I pay your taxes. We go back to that again. Yeah, is exactly no. where that's going to head. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got some really stupid chiefs and stuff, but whatever. That's another <laughs> That's another show when we start naming names because I'm there. Yeah, I'm hopefully there. I'll be gone by then. Oh, it won't be fire. It'll be, it'll be oh, PD good. chiefs. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so how's the program going, though? Is it just getting you know, started? What are we doing? Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been mostly, I have been put on a, a lead for a paramedic program it's monday and tuesday mm-hmm. and um most of my time has been with those kids um for the past i don't know maybe month so i haven't uh i'm actually probably going to be like doing the paperwork and starting uh for the high school within the next few days i'm trying to fit it in between doing the medic course mm-hmm. but it's it's conceptual because it looks like we're kind of building things from the ground floor, and it sounds like, you know, the, the sky's the limit. So we're trying to think outside of the box and see what we can do to just prepare these kids. Sure. And even though uh, it's a at-risk population, I mean, I read an Explorer post um, back in the 90s up in Ukiah uh, before we left Sacramento, and um, I had a couple at-risk kids who were part of that that uh, arena and you know if you if you treat them with some love and some respect and some discipline and direction and show them um, some good role models sure. kids just thrive sure. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was our officers that was a lot of my core group and stuff so I, I don't think an opportunity like this comes along often and I really want to kind of necessarily step back but I want to think this through and make sure that um, when it is implemented, that it's going to be a good thing. So how many do you have involved or that want to get involved? You know, oddly enough, um, we had just, I met the other day, and there's probably 25 kids that are at the school right now, and five of them came in to get more information. Nice. And we're kind of behind that eight ball now because you take um, that population of kids that um, – you know, were kind of a lot of reasons they were there is because of truancy or mm-hmm. just whatever. And then you throw two years of COVID on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it really kind of starting from scratch. Sure. You know, so having five kids out of that group come in and go, yeah, I'm interested. What are you guys doing? was kind of encouraging. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we want to open it up to the Valley because I'm sure there's a lot of kids that um, not really sure they're interested. You know, we have 15 yeah. kids out there and they're landing a helicopter Joel could be probably fill kids. your classes. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has some contacts. That's good. Yeah. No, that's what I was thinking, though, yeah. is um, so I I work with, I guess you could say at risk, <laughs> at risk kids. They've proven to be at risk. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> um, it's pretty tried and true. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, I've sat down <laughs> with a couple of them and, you know, I've asked them what their plans are for the future and they're like, I, I have nothing going for me or that's that's what they believe. Sure. Which is sad. Yeah. 
And so, you know, I've talked to them about, you know, different avenues, whether it's military or police or, you know, just other things that they can do. And it's things that nobody has ever talked to them about. Well, here's what's sad. And I heard this last night on something I was listening to. And they said, we've gotten away from telling kids, you can be anything you want to be. Doctor, lawyer. No, now we're telling them, you can be anything you want to be. You can be a unicorn. You can be a, you can be a, he can be a, she, a, she can be a, he, you can be a, they, you can be a dog. We've gotten away from the real life. I knew you would like that. (laughs) Keep that in mind as you're talking to your at-risk kids. Um, We don't need to tell them they can be a unicorn. Okay. Um, But we have, we've gotten away from telling them they can be anything they want to be. Within. Yes. Not Harry Potter. Sorry. You're not going to be a wizard. Because there is no such thing. Um, but when you don't give them those that encouragement and the directions of what they might want to be and what they can be, none of us would have known either. We wouldn't have had a clue. And that's just human nature. I mm-hmm. mean, when we're talking to these guys, it's like, look, you guys have no idea what opportunity you have here. Yes. From a bunch of different aspects. I mean, this is a new program. Mm-hmm. So when this thing takes off and it's a thing, you know, mm-hmm. five years, ten years or you go, hey, I was, I was the first, I started that. Absolutely. Exactly. I was the first one there. Absolutely. You know, so it's even more of an incentive to, you know, get out and, and participate in it and, and you, take as much as you can. You get those at-risk kids that go through that uh, program like that, they're going to be the ones that are going to come back and give back to that program Absolutely. too. Absolutely. And because show the it success. Did such, yeah, it changed their whole life. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And that's such a crucial age. Yes. You know, to... And you're just right there. I mean, you can go into public safety, whatever. I mean, if you want to be an accountant, or but you need to head that direction right in that age, or then it's like robbing liquor stores and gangbanging. Well, because they figure they're not going to live, but probably however many years anyway, might as well live how you know. And and a lot of times, that doing something constructive and making something out of yourself takes work. Sure, being a gangbanger. Not necessarily. Not you much. just need to have the ability to get your butt kicked. Every Something called loyalty, but to the wrong people right, and the wrong right, missions. Right. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of kids in that situation uh, miss is mm-hmm. just feeling part of something. You know, and the sad thing, the time I worked in Sacramento, which was pretty close to you know, 15, 16 years, and um, it was from the mid-80s to the late-90s. And there was a lot of gang activity in the sure. area that I worked at. And it was kind of pre-MS-13. It was mm-hmm. kind of the Bloods, the Crips, and uh, quite a few Asian gangs as well. Sure. And the average age of my patient, I'd, I'd average gunshot wound a day easy. Wow. You know, sometimes more, sometimes less. But, I mean, on the average, that's probably what it turned into. And the average age of my patients was like 14. Wow. Man. 14 or 15. And it was... You know, basically because if you got busted doing something when you were 14, you went to juvenile hall for a yeah. little bit, and then you were kicked out. If you're over 18, they charge you as an adult. Sure. So they go out and recruit all these kids, Absolutely. and they're the ones on the streets doing the thing and, and getting shot at. Mm-hmm. But the sad thing was that when you got them away from all their homies and, you know, they're shot, you know, the leg or whatever. I mean, it's not a critical thing. They're just scared little kids. Yeah, they're not quite the badasses yeah, that they want to project the that they are. It's like, God, you're just a scared 14-year-old little kid. Yeah. 
you know, they have a total different persona when they're around their buddies. Sure. But mm-hmm. the, it's all fake. Said and it's done. all yeah, false. Absolutely. And easy with a gun in your hand, but absolutely. not it when you don't. Tore me up. One of the so. areas I would encourage y'all in this, because I think this is what's been lacking the whole time, and I'm going to volunteer my good friend Joel over here for this uh, as part of Under the Shield, but is to come in and do some training on real, true stress management sleep issues, those kinds of things, starting this stuff early. Absolutely. Because stress management right now is deep breathing, relaxation, go to your happy place, and people are like, who's got time? I'm vibrating, I'm ringing, I've got stuff to do, whatever, when that's not the reality of it. And know? that would be good because that's, to be honest with you, that's one of the challenges I'm kind of running into as I'm trying to make a base for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been a medic for a long time. I've been in the fire service for a long time. I know nothing about cops. You know, I I don't. And what can I do to prep those kids, you know, to get them ready to be good officers? Well, and it'd be interesting for you to go through our stress coach certification to learn the things that we do and how we look at it from a not just the brain, but that the body impacts what the brain thinks, how it feels can change that. And this is stuff that kids illnesses. Yes. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, sleep deprivation is the majority of what we see in suicidal police and fire. It's just not hard to do. Well, (laughs) I said that alarm would go off one time with me in a dead sleep and I wouldn't sleep for months. Yeah, it's that. I don't know how you come off of that. It's gotten better. Me back it's softer and gentler. Is that what you're telling me? It says y'all need to wake up. We have a fire. Plectron. Where go, uh, and then for a while you would see the old emergency TV show. Yes, it's like me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd shoot it. I'd shoot it. And then uh, in the stages, you know. But now it's more of a. No wonder they run late. They're all snoozing through. Need to turn the volume up a little bit. Yeah, but it's so much because you know you end up like a cat stuck Absolutely. on the ceiling sometimes. <laughs> And that's one of the challenges of of the fire service is that, you know, and, and physical challenges as well. Sure. It's, you're at a dead sleep, and then all of a sudden that thing freaks you out because it's like, wow. And then you're trying to find your way out to the, you know, to the engine where you can barely find your feet. Right. And then. Try to remember to put your pants on in the meantime. Then all of a sudden, hey, we got a house fire. we got two people trapped. It's like, right. oh, my God. And, and you get sudden, there and it's a cat up a tree. Then what do you do? <laughs> right. But which would be much nicer than actually having to work. But they knew you would come faster. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I tell you, fighting a house fire by itself is a physical feat. Sure. You know, and then when you add the added uh, stress and stuff of, of people being trapped in there yeah. yes it really gets your uh get your heart going okay. well and one of the things that we teach is about adrenal fatigue and we also teach about what to do with adrenaline when it's not utilized so you know when you do have people going out on these calls and they get there and it's you know some little old lady and she's just lonely and needed somebody to come check her pulse and blood pressure and whatever but you still got the adrenaline just from that alarm system going off and they go back there isn't any going to sleep right off. And so one of the things we've encouraged is for fire departments to have in every firehouse a punching bag so that they can mimic fight or flight. And they either fight the bag or they run sprints, not distances, get the adrenaline out. You can do it in five minutes and dump the adrenaline. Well, what happens when you dump adrenaline? You get the crash. And then you're ready to go to sleep. Otherwise, it stores in your muscles, and as you relax, it feeds to the brain, but it keeps you 
in no man's land, and you wind up with really horrible sleep. Right. So it's things it's like hard, that. And that, that kind of rolls over to when you're home, too. Yes, yes. You know, I've woke up. My sleep patterns have just been terrible for pretty much my whole life. Sure. It's starting to get a little bit better now, at least not as frequent, and still wake up at, you know, or you get so fatigued at work that you go home, you start taking care of the kids, you do whatever, and it's like, okay, I, I might get a break. And you go lay down at 3.30 in the afternoon, and um, you wake up at midnight. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, I just got a bigger block of sleep than I've had in a month. But now what? it's at midnight, <laughs> and you're wide awake. And, yes. And try to figure out what to do. the right, And then that cycle just kind of continues. And that, to me, is what's important about teaching these kids. Because they're even having it as teenagers. You know, mm -hmm. I tell, one of the things I tell parents is take their phones. These things are causing sleep deprivation, which makes bullying worse when it may not have been so bad. But when you're tired, everything's bad. Right. And when you start setting these things in motion as teenagers... You know, my kids are 32 and 35. These are things that they started learning when I started this company 31 years ago. Um, it was They were kind of my guinea pigs at times. The ex-husband was till <laughs> I got had, divorced. And that's then, why we had them. The, I the, told the boys, yard work, all that is exactly why I had you. Well, and my kids kept telling me, you need to get remarried. Mom, you need a new guinea pig because we're kind of tired of being that, that, that guinea pig for you. But whatever. One was a Marine. He got to be the guinea pig. Still is. Just doesn't know it. Um, but it's it's educating that as much as I think that's just as important as the technical stuff. Because the technical stuff is no good if the person is no good. Well, and I think the service as a whole, at least with us, uh, we've really gone out of our way. And especially, surprisingly enough, it's a lot of the older guys. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, you know what? I've always kind of put it off and... Now I'm going to get some counseling, and it, it's helping a bunch. And that stigma is going away because we're telling the kids, hey, you know, you've only been here for a year. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Right. Go head it off at the pass. Sure, you sure. Know, if you need it, go do it. And you don't have to, to cowboy up. It'll probably along your sanity and, you know, your career. Sure. So, and, and it's more well-received, I think. Well, and we've got to bring more resources to the table because counseling is not always the answer. That's that's the other problem. Counseling looks at it from a mental illness standpoint, more so than mental wellness standpoint. And that's where people get concerned. Right. And perception's reality. There need to be not eliminating resources, adding more to it of things that are different, mm -hmm. which is what we do it under the shield with the stress coaching. Well, I don't know if you guys do it here, and it's not real common that I've seen, but a huge issue is taking that whole thought process and mm -hmm. continuing that to retirees. Oh, yes. You know, so oh, there's yes. been some talk about it, a couple of meetings that I've been at, you know, we need to start doing this because the substance abuse is so bad and the suicide rates and all that stuff is kind of on steroids. And I don't know any of the numbers, but... Um, you know, and it, and it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you have a substance abuse issue, you're going to have to sober up at some point because you have to come to work. Or die. You know, one the, yeah, one of your one two. Of the two. But yeah. if you don't have to do that anymore. And there's so many guys that that feel so isolated after they get out of there. Sure. You know, I, I didn't have as much of a problem with it because I didn't hang out with guys in our department to begin with. Well, but you also started gearing yourself into other areas well, I, that would help in this. Right. And it, but I was I was kind of a interesting 
you know, most of the guys in our academy, um, when I started with Rural, mm -hmm. which uh, 2001, were kids. They were 20 something, just starting their career. I was 40, I had mm -hmm. four kids, I had my wife at home, and I'd already had 20 something years of missing birthdays. And all. Mm -hmm. so that was kind of my focus and I didn't really have much in common with the kids. Sure. You know, when I went and worked missing stuff as it was, I wanted to go home and be with my family. Sure. You know, so not having a bunch of guys call me after I've left doesn't phase me because nobody called me before I left. Right. You right. know, where there's a couple of guys that it's like, dude, this is killing me. I had 200 best friends mm -hmm. and I've got one guy call me in the past three years that I've retired. So it's, it's just kind of a culture shock. Right. Well, I think you there's know, a bigger worry. component to it too, because what is your whole job description? Just like with police, mm -hmm. you're problem solvers. And all of a sudden, you're needed, 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 needed for however many years, and then you go home and you're not needed necessarily. You were in a little different situation because you did have younger kids and, and stuff at home. But most people that retire, the kids are grown. Kids right. are gone. And, and, and I think that's the key to it because, like mm -hmm. I said, I've, I've been busier now more than, mm -hmm. you know, than I was beforehand. But it kind of – the biggest difference between the, the fire aspect and the police aspect is that – um, we live, we live with our guys. Sure. You know, they're, they're like family a lot of mm -hmm. times, especially if you work some overtime, you That's end it. up seeing the guys at the station more than you see your own family. Absolutely. You know, and, it, and it's also, I'm sure from what I've heard, PD is the same way. And it, and it kind of goes through all different, um, uh, fields of work or whatever. You have those people who are go-getters and who get things done that, and you just, you know, beat them like a frothing horse mm -hmm. because you know, hey, you're going to get this done. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, so I can depend on you. Yeah. So here's 87 programs for you to run. Right. And guys will do it because that's usually what leads you to being promoted. Mm -hmm. You know, but with that being said, there's a fine line where you can stay active and be relevant and take care of your work stuff without being overwhelmed and forgetting your family. Still have a life. Yeah, because yeah. some guys, yeah, I'm a chief now, but I've, I'm on my third wife. You know, <laughs> and that's a balance. Yeah. know who I am. Yeah. That has to be taught early on. It is. And it's like, don't, you know, don't shy away from that stuff. I mean, it's important that you're engaged. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the coin, don't get so focused and, and have so much tunnel vision that you're forgetting the stuff that really matters. Because when you do get out of there, you know, and, and I don't want to sound cynical or nobody really cares. Right. <laughs> sure. I mean, they don't. I've been, I was there for 23 years and we, especially now we have such a huge turnover. Five years from now, nobody's going to know who the hell I was. Right. Right. You right. know, and to sacrifice the things that really matter in life, like your, your wife, your kids, mm -hmm. whatever, for that career goal, which is an admirable one. Sure. I mean, it's it's good to do that, but on the other side of the coin, like you said, there's that balance that mm -hmm. they really need to maintain or you're gonna regret it at some day. Yeah, you can't let these jobs define who you are. Right. Well, you decide what's left for you when the career's over. Right. And is that a family there that knows you that knows you've loved them and balanced them into this, or these people that you basically have set aside for twenty something mm -hmm. years and then you go home and there's nobody there. Right. And they've left. You're like, oh, man, where'd they go? Oh, they've been gone for a while. Yeah. And that, again, is, I think, a huge part of what's lacking in training in the front end. And it's all about the good, fun, cool stuff and all of these <laughs> things. But nobody in television doesn't show that very often. 
the real downside and hard side for families. And family day is a rah, rah, this is going to be great. No, no, it's not. <laughs> well, and it seems like TV, if they do show somebody after that, it's the crazy retired guy that's getting ready to kill himself. Absolutely. It's <laughs> yeah. one extreme to the other. Right. Yes. Right. It's not the other stuff in between. And right. again, that's where, to me, training comes in. This is a, everybody has to acknowledge, this is a lifestyle. And if it's a lifestyle, you've got to train the other half of it. You know, nobody nobody taught me, and I was married to a federal agent in drug enforcement. I had to learn the hard way. And it could very easily be taught. Well, and it's a challenge to your point. I mean, you can't let it define you. But public safety and the military, it, it, it is kind of who you are. Oh, it yeah. Is. It you is. Not what you do. It's who you right. because and it's it, a lifestyle. Yeah, and you're set to a different standard. Yes. I mean, you could go out and do whatever you want. And on the news, it's a 10-second blurb. Sure. If you're a fireman or you're a cop or what, it's like... Days. Day, yeah. Right. And it never the, goes away. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, doctors and lawyers can do all kinds of... It, you'll never hear it. You'll right. you're hanging out somewhere, you know, oh, that's Fireman Mike or that's Bill the Cop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's... Uh, it's kind of defined who you are, but you can't let that get into your head enough where it actually does right. kind of, yeah. you know, where it takes precedence right. on it. And again, but I think it's teaching that it's training that at the very it front is. end, because otherwise it's easy to get caught up in. This is my identity. I got a badge. I got an mm-hmm. ax. I got a gun. I got a whatever. There's a fire truck. There's people see this and know who I am. And that might be the key to it because fire prevention is a, a amazing example. Mm-hmm. I mean, since it's hit the schools yes. and start teaching kids younger the stop, drop, and roll, don't play with matches. I mean, no, we no just don't have deaths. fires anymore for the most part. And it, a lot of it's seatbelts. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you hit kids when they're younger, and you have to do that to change the culture. Yeah, Lieutenant yeah. Colonel Dave Grossman, are you familiar with Dave? I don't believe so. He's a, a dear dear friend of Under the Shields and mine, and he talks about it in classes, and he says, there ain't a stinking thing in the room we're in that'll burn. <laughs> <laughs> you got fire exits, you got fire alarms. He says, you got you know, the systems that'll dump water in here if there's a fire. And he said, we hadn't had a school death in how many years? And he says, you know, what is Johnny Firefighter? What grade do you give him? You give him an A+. Plus. What do you give the cop? needs to improve (laughs) because we're not doing as much training on their side of the house as we do on the fire side. So training obviously is the answer to a lot of things. Absolutely. But it also comes down to the firefighters and police officers getting that training and their families understanding how this works. And, you know, unfortunately it might be better to concentrate on the younger people. Absolutely. You know, because I don't know, how much luck you'll have trying to change a culture when you hit the older people where they already know another thing and they have to change the thought process sure. as much as shockingly we're getting way. some we well, are getting some but we're also getting the younger ones too who are bringing their significant others in before they get married and you know it, and it's not about um scaring them to death it's about reality right here's what it's like they're going to be gone and back to start talk about the explorers that uh, before I got into the recruiting thing, it was nice to be in a situation younger. And I mean, it's it's kind of a juggling act, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. But to be able to take some of these kids and expose them, like you said, to the reality and what the job's really like. Yeah. What's without the limit going out there? there. 
Yeah, and and um, the trauma side of you know, this going through school and your testing all over the place, and you end up getting an associates in fire science or whatever, and then you still don't have picked up. So you're working on your bachelor's, and you've basically like put five or six years of your life trying to get on somewhere. And then you run your first peds code, and it's like I'm not cut out for this. Yes, yeah. And how <laughs> I much have do been you? A plumber or something. <laughs> and how much do you expose them to before it becomes too much trauma early on, but enough? You know, in law enforcement, I think they have the advantage of a fax machine. Right. It's not real. You're you're you know running scenarios and things, but um, you know, and I don't know how fire would do that, but there ought to be a way. Yeah, and it is a fine line because I was mm-hmm. exposed to some pretty traumatic stuff when I was like 14. Sure. And I don't think I would want to wish that on anybody. It was a good experience. And these know, at-risk start- kids, though, have probably seen a lot more than I've I seen know. in 63 years, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, it's about perception that. from that well, also. Well, it's a society. I mean, with the Internet, there's so much different access to stuff that didn't have back then, mm-hmm. plus a lot more going on in society. Which to me is why you're to be commended for that population you're going for versus the kids in the high-end Fountain Hills that the worst thing they have to decide is do I drive mom's Volvo or dad's BMW to school. And see, I'm, I'm hoping to get both. Sure. Because, I mean, the interaction between the two of them would Absolutely. be good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it probably... Um, well, kids teaching, educating kids is, is a better thing anyway. Right. To be honest, it, oh yeah, and kids are going to educate each other. You just yes. have to steer what they're learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they're all in a population and they're educating each other the wrong stuff. Right. Yeah. Oh, you got caught for that. Let me tell you how not yeah. to get caught next time. Sure, but right. Um, how can we help y'all with this program? Because I think it's amazing that you're even talking about doing this. You know what? I I still need to figure out what I'm doing. But sure. I would definitely like to maybe come back and revisit you guys once we get started. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if there's anybody out there, especially from the um, the law enforcement avenue, if I get a hold of you, guidance is probably the best thing right now. Sure. Like I said, I can set them up. But ideally, I know the Department of uh, Public Safety has kind of like a blue shirt type thing. I need to explore more of the details of it. Mm-hmm. But they'll hire kids when they're 18. And basically they, you know, work until they turn 21 where they can actually be sworn officers, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want to try to see what I can do to prep them to get ready for that program. So, you know, they're just better employees. They've got some experience coming into it instead of having to start from square one. Sure. And that's, that's one of the reasons I think that, you know, from the medical and fire aspect of anatomy, physiology, and especially Mm -hmm. the history, yes, the history of the fire service and EMS and, even law enforcement or whatever. So you know where you came from because unfortunately with the generation that's out there now, um, tradition, history, all that stuff for the most part's put on the back burner. Yeah. I mean, I, I do some uh, volunteer time and um, uh, at the Hall of Flame, mm-hmm. which is here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, never heard of it. Never heard of it. I it's amazing. Okay. It's the largest collection of fire apparatus in the world. Wow. It's where huge. is it? It's uh, Papago Park. Okay. It's right next to the uh, uh, to the zoo. Okay. But uh, the oldest engine in there is a hand pumper that's <laughs> in 1780-something. Wow. And it goes all the way up to, uh, uh, I think, the newest piece of apparatus is Rescue 4. Wow. From, uh, it was at the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. It got beat up pretty bad. And yeah. I, from what I understand, they had five um, rescue units throughout New York. 
three of them were demolished immediately. Yes. And the two of them, um, four, four and five, I guess, covered all of the rescue work in there mm -hmm. until they could replace them. So this thing was pretty pretty beat up. Sure. And they were able to acquire it and they've restored it to its original glory and it's on a thing there. But they've got uh, like one of the first SCBAs that was ever invented, which mm -hmm. is kind of an interesting story because uh, it was an African-American gentleman that developed it in um, like the late 1800s, maybe wow. turn of the century. And it's, it's just Massive. masked with <laughs> like two huge elephant trunks that like come down. <laughs> but they had that on display there. He was also the same individual that um, invented the stoplight. Oh. But with him in that time frame, with him being an African-American gentleman, nobody would buy his stuff. Nobody was interested in it. So sure. he was able to, you know, work with a couple people where it still got out there. But it took a number of years until he was able to, uh, you know, get credit for the stuff. But all this original stuff are there, the uh, Brandon Mountain Hot Shots. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's an amazing place if you ever have an opportunity. Yeah, I'll have to make a trip down there for yeah, sure. Yeah, it would be well worth it. Never heard, I never And the people down there are amazing. It's all, you know, retired guys that uh, take you on the tours and are starting to open it up to a lot of um, elementary schools and, and different groups are going through there, nice. which is good. Yeah, but, you know, and especially EMS, I mean, it, Modern-day EMS didn't start until mid-70s for the most part, which kind of goes back to educating society. When when they started that, are you familiar with that show, Emergency? The old John and oh, Roy? Oh, yeah. 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 That started getting conceptualized and came in in like 1973. Yeah, this one won't know anything about it. <laughs> he wasn't even a speck in his mother's eye. That was don't, my high school days. Don't feel bad, man. Half the firemen have no idea. Like John and Roy, who? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Come on. That was my high school years. Yeah, Come that on. was it. You got to know who they are. But there was like six paramedic programs in the whole country. <laughs> and then they brought that concept into people's living rooms mm -hmm. and within you know five six seven years probably two-thirds of the country had paramedics they had, had established a 911 system sure i mean it changed our whole culture sure you know and, and a lot of the people who were watching were kids and all of those kids most of them ended up being firemen because of the the john and roy thing right but with it being so new it's it just is discouraging that the kids who are going through paramedic school now, which you'd not believe what kind of changes there are between when we first started back then and what they're actually doing now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's amazing. Um, but they have no idea where they came from, and it's not that long ago. Right. You know, 45, 50 years. Well, you're also exposing kids to things that it may route them in a way of being a nurse, a doctor, mm -hmm. a nurse practitioner. You know, if you can't stick a needle into somebody's vein, then you probably don't need to be in the medical field. And just as a footnote, sticking a needle in somebody's vein doesn't hurt you at all. Oh, I'm sure it doesn't <laughs> hurt you a bit. But there ain't no cop on the face of this planet. I will plead guilty. I'm going on record. I'm guilty of whatever it is you're trying to charge me up. You won't stick it. Now, I have them walk by and go, oh, yeah, I got great veins. And I'm like, not for you. It ain't going to happen. Sorry. No, I thought I wanted to be a nurse till I couldn't handle chemistry well you know back a while ago and I, i'm sure it probably holds true somewhat now that most of the uh, uh guys on ambulances and stuff like that laptop 
that's what they're doing is going to med school or sure. pre-med or mm-hmm. whatever. It's kind of a step. So it's not just trying to gear them toward fire or PD. It, it's opening up avenues and, and ideas of other things as well. Absolutely. And I think that's important yeah, for kids. Yeah, open up some doors for them and sure. um, make their life better. Well, anyway, we can help. We'd love to because I, I think it's that. a I think it's a great idea. I think it's something touch. that has really been missing. You know, we got away from shop and all of the things that we do when I was in school. Yes, Joel, we had schools, and I used to walk in the snow to get there every day in, in, Col- in Columbia, South Carolina. Absolutely, there was a lot of the those blizzards I had to get to school in. But um, I, I think we've I think we've lost sight of that, and everything's gone too many directions towards other things that kids may may not necessarily be interested in. So we need to get them back to the the real work, the backbone of this country. Well, I'll, I'll keep in contact as things Please develop. Please do. Need to talk to you too. Evidently. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if um, you know if people out there are interested. You know, there may be people who've been thinking about doing. So I don't know how much, you, how much you've checked around the country to see if there are programs already like this. You know, they have a, a public safety high school in Phoenix, hmm. uh, Franklin. Oh, and I, yeah, I'd like to, you know, get together with those folks at some time and see exactly what they're doing. Sure. Or so, other parts of the country, if this is something you've been wanting please, to do, reach out to us and we can get you in or touch. If you have with any you. advice, even I'm, I'm sure. pretty open. Like sure. we said, we're starting from the ground up. So. Yeah, we'll have all that contact stuff. Maybe even your email um, listed on our on the Perfect. podcast. Um, I appreciate that a lot. Stuff so that thank they can you. reach out to you directly. Thanks. Well, thank you for your time and what you're doing, and you know, it's these progressive ideas and stuff that are going to begin to make things better for first responders down the road. I hope so. When they get started early and young, and we educate them on things outside the box, right. so to speak. So. Well, I know we need to wrap up some stuff here, too, on the softball tournament that was a very successful softball <laughs> tournament. Uh, congratulations to Gilbert Fire. Uh, we wound up with Fire playing Fire in the championship. Yeah. You law enforcement expect people. no less. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we know what the cops say. Well, they got nothing else to do but sit around and work out and play softball. So, okay. And sit in recliners and relax. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and massage your muscles. And, yeah. I have a friend things. that calls those the Barca loungers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so. Call uh, training. Here's the, here's the challenge for PD next year. There will be another one next year. Y'all better come with, with all your ringers and your. And your people <laughs> that do play softball. Half the Diamondbacks showing up. <laughs> hey, come on now. Whatever it yeah, takes. You know, I was going to give you this ticket. <laughs> but congratulations to Gilbert, Arizona Fire Department for, for their victory in this first year. And uh, I know we want to reach out also to, was it Belfour? Belf- Belfour. Belfour. Um, Restorations. Restoration. They came out and... Were very supportive, providing free hot dogs and food and stuff for everybody that was there, yeah. and um, so that was a kind of a nice last-minute surprise for them to show up. But they and they are nationwide. They are, and certainly probably would have used them with my neighbors next door if we'd known <laughs> about them um, after their house flooded yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, but we appreciate their support of what we're doing here at Under the Shield and everybody that came out and and played and. Uh, volunteered, and we'll be back again with it next year sometime, probably a little later in January, since we don't have to deal with Super Bowl next year. Super Bowl dictated everything this year. So uh, anyway, thank you to everyone out there as first responders and all the things that you do, the sacrifices that you make, and especially to families and our military and our veterans. 
Um, I don't ever want people to think it under the shield. We don't work with our military and veterans and families. I think that's part of what sets us apart. Um, so whether you're the spouse or parent or whatever, a cop or firefighter or EMT or Marine or whatever, reach out to us because that's what we're here for. Our toll-free number, 24-7 number is 855-889-2348. When you call that number and hit extension 1, we will not have your phone number. And let it ring. You will get a stress coach. It may be rolling over to a stress coach in Alabama or somebody here in Arizona or wherever. Let it ring. You'll Somebody will answer that phone. And again, we won't have your number. We don't ask names. We don't keep records or notes on anybody. Uh, that's a big part of our push is to make sure you understand it's safe. And there will be no welfare checks either because we won't even have a number to know where to send anybody, as in some of the other places that you can reach out for. So if if you're if you're really feeling down, especially this time of year after holidays, this is a tough time mm-hmm. of year for people. Um, reach out to us. Give us a chance. We've been doing this a long time, and I promise you, if we can't help you, we will find the answer somewhere. Uh, if you want to talk to me directly, uh, I'm Susan Simmons. My cell number is 334-324-3570. And if you want to talk to me, Tom, my phone number is 480-861-6574. Joelle, do we list these things in the body of we do. Cell phones and everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. Uh, but please reach out to us. And uh, if there's anything we can do, uh, you have ideas about the program, who you'd like to hear on here, uh, we're always open to suggestions. We can do these via Zoom if, if they're not here in the, in the Valley. We love having people in-house like we did today. Uh, but reach out to us. Thank you for all that you do, the sacrifices you make, especially the families, because these are, these are tough times and uh, hard positions for families to have to to try to maneuver through also. So give us a call. God bless you. God bless your families and this great nation that we live in. Again, thank you very much for taking time to come over and hang out with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. See you all next time.